Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. This morning's scripture reading will be taken from the book of John, chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. That's John 3, 16 through 21. And if you see the red Bible, two Bible in front of you, it's on page 940. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Faith is indeed the victory that overcomes the world. But not just any faith, faith in Jesus Christ specifically. There are many people in the world that live by faith in something or in someone. And, uh, well, that's just not good enough because faith is simply trusting. When we have faith in something or someone, we're trusting in that thing in order to, to do what it's promised to do, in essence. If you're going on a road trip in your automobile... You're, you're going on faith that it is in good enough shape, the engine, the wheels, and all different parts of it, that it's going to get to your destination. How many of you have ever put your faith in an automobile for a road trip only to be let down? <laughs> yeah, we all have, probably. Most of us have. And if you haven't, well, I hope that that stroke of blessing continues for the rest of your life because it's one of the less pleasant things to be in the middle of nowhere, heading to somewhere that you desperately want to get, and now you got to call a tow truck. That's just not any fun. So faith in Jesus is the victory that overcomes this world. If you ask anybody in the world about Jesus, you're very likely to have a conversation. There are very few people in the world that don't have a formed opinion about Jesus already when you begin a conversation. And that, by the way, is one of the evidences that Jesus is who he claimed to be and who the Bible says that he is. Uh, because it's not true about anybody else. I mean, seriously, you can take anybody else in the world that has ever lived, and you're not going to find this near universal truth that everybody on the planet has a formed opinion about that person. Take Muhammad, for instance, the founder of the so-called Muslim religion. 
Uh, I mean, you know, everybody in the world just about has heard of him, that's for sure. But not everybody in the world has a formed opinion about Muhammad. In fact, you will come across a lot of people in the world who will say, I really don't know much about the man. I really don't have much of an opinion about him. They may have a very strong formed opinion about the Muslim religion, but still not a very strong opinion about him. Not true for Jesus. You may find people all over the world that don't have a very strong formed opinion about Christianity or about the church, but if you sit down to talk to them about Jesus, you're going to have a conversation. A conversation is going to ensue. And again, that's one of the great evidences that Jesus is exactly who the Bible says that he is. And it is with interest, uh, in the interest of our learning more about our Lord Jesus strengthening our faith in him individually and as a church, coming to a better understanding of the evidences that he is who he is so that we can be certain that we're living our lives on a solid foundation and that we can proceed forward as servants of Jesus in a fruitful way, that our theme this year is all about him. It is for him. And the second series this year in pursuit of that is Son of God, in which we're talking about the deity of Christ, that is the Godhood of Christ. Jesus is human, and Jesus is God. And those two truths are what make the truths you see on your screen between those two statements also true and well-founded, that he is king, that he's savior, that he's Lord, that he is our high priest. Only he is capable of being a priest in the truest sense of that word. If you understand the biblical teaching about priesthood, certain aspects of priesthood have changed over the centuries as God has more fully revealed himself to us, leading to the Christian priesthood uh, that we understand today, communicated in the, first, in the first century, recorded for us in the New Testament. But priesthood is, is by its very essence mediation. A priest has God's hand and, and reaches out for the hand of his or her fellow man. That's priesthood. Priesthood is the go-between. Priesthood is the reconciler. Priesthood is the one who makes relationships between the two alienated parties because of sin possible. And, and we're only capable of being priesthood priests in the lowercase p sense because of Jesus' capital P priesthood that he exercises in our behalf because he is God and he is man. He is capable of bridging the gap that sin has divided between us. And so it's very important that we affirm the truths about the nature of the Son of God. And so in the second lesson in this particular series, we're asking the question, what is the evidence that this is true? What is the evidence that Jesus is in fact not merely a man who lives close to 2,000 years ago, born the way that we all are, lived the way that we all live, and died the way that we all died? Many people in the world that have a formed opinion about Jesus would say that. He was a great teacher, but he was just a man. After all, we would solidly reject that statement. Jesus, of course, was a great teacher. Jesus is, of course, human. He is man, and he is the premier example of what humanity is supposed to be. But Jesus is also more than just a man. He is not merely a mortal man. He is also God in the flesh, God himself, who has come to us. But what is the evidence that this statement is true? Now, we're going to three proofs this morning. Now, I want you to know, and I need to stay, say this just to go ahead and say it, uh, th there is so much that could be said on this subject, and honestly, I could preach for months just on the evidences that support the claims the Bible makes about Jesus. And frankly, it probably needs to be done. But I want you all to know 
that when you hear today these three points, what we're doing is we're touching on the areas of study. I'm giving you the headings, so to speak, of three areas that if you want to deepen your uh, sense of, of strength, of knowledge, of confidence, that you, can, that you can argue, that you can prove that Jesus is the Son of God and everything that means, both His humanity and His deity, then if you will take these three headings that I'll share with you today and pursue them in your own studies or find a good guide or teacher or mentor who will help you pursue these things in your studies, you can become someone who can make a good, robust argument in, in, in pursuit of proving that Jesus is who the Bible says He is, the Son of God. And so the first of these three headings today uh, that prove that Jesus is man, but man and God, is the testimony of prophecy. The testimony of prophecy. Now, prophecy is, in its basic definition, speaking for another. When we think of a prophet, we're thinking of someone who speaks for God. We talked about this a little bit in the first series this year. I won't repeat the difference between foretelling and forth-telling. You can look that up if you'd like to. But a prophet is one who speaks for God. And so, over the course of all of the centuries of Earth's history, there has been the voice of prophecy among us. God has seen to it that that is the case. In the very beginning, God spoke to Adam and Eve after the fall into sin. God spoke through the patriarchs, the oldest male members of extended families, tribes, uh, and clans, and so to speak. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And then rising out of, of, of Abraham's body, the nation of Israel comes, his descendants, and Jesus, through the law of Moses, gave them a separate clergy, a priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, that served as this go-between, and many of those priests were prophets. There were also those who were not of the priesthood through whom God spoke. We think of Elijah and Elisha, of course, Samuel, the last of the judges. All of the judges were prophets. And, of course, all of the prophetic books of the Old Testament, these men in whom God uh, gave word to communicate to the people. And so we have thousands of years, 1,500 years approximately, was the amount of time that it took to collect all of these prophetic writings together in the Bible. And so this is a product of hundreds and hundreds, over a thousand years of collecting the writings, thousands of years of prophecy, and in all of it there is a consistent voice. I want us to read the book of Luke chapter 7 beginning in verse 24 because we don't have time to look at all of the 300 plus Messianic prophets or prophecies. We gave kind of a digest of those in January series. But I just want us to look at what Jesus says here and see that we can kind of get a summary of the testimony of prophecy by considering just one prophet, John the Baptist, arguably the last of the Old Testament prophets, simultaneously the first of the New Testament prophets. Listen to what Jesus says in, in, in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. The testimony of prophecy is consistent. It is specific. It is persistent. And it is indisputable. 
whether you're reading Messianic prophecies, reading them in Isaiah or Malachi or any of the books in between those in the Old Testament, you will find one consistent voice speaking through those prophets, even though they wrote in multiple languages in different nations, and most of them did not have access to the other's writings. Nevertheless, by the power of God, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there is a consistent voice. And the Messianic prophecies are specific, specific aspects of Jesus' life and and of his person, who he is, who he is going, what he was going to do, were prophesied specifically and persistently. Generation after generation, it seems to us by reading the Old Testament that the most important thing in the world for God to do was to remind each generation that a Savior was coming, that his Son was coming, just as it has been the most important thing for God to do since the advent of Christ through the church to communicate to the world that a Savior has come and that He's coming again. God always does what is in the pursuit of saving those that He loves, and that is indisputable, and so is the testimony of prophecy. And so look at John. John is sort of the capstone of the prophets. If we want to hear the consistent voice of prophecy in all of Scripture, listen to what John the Baptist has to say. He will summarize it, and he will apply it. And they came to John and said to him, uh, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is rising in, in all that should be all are going to him. John, John the Baptist answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now listen to the testimony. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. There is the testimony of John the Baptist with summary from John the Apostle. And it tells us very clearly who John understood Jesus to be. He says, he who comes from above is above all. He who comes from heaven is above all. This is the testimony of prophecy about who Jesus is. And it is a contrast between Jesus, who of course is a man, the man we might say, but there's a contrast that the prophets make between Jesus and the rest of us. Now there is a sense in which we all have our origin from above. From the very beginning in Genesis 1, we're told that we were made in the likeness of God. And so certain aspects of the nature of God are evident within us. We have a spirit made in the likeness of God. We have intellect and reason, self-awareness, morality. These are things that God has given us that are reflections of His nature and His heart. And so we can say that there's a sense in which humanity originates in heaven because our nature comes from God who dwells in heaven. But each one of us were born by natural procreation, 
We were nurtured in our mother's wombs. We came into this world in a normal way. There's nothing particularly heavenly about us because we happen to be born this way into a fallen world that was and is in rebellion against God. And that is the point of contrast that the prophets make between us and Jesus. There's no contrast between human and human. We are human and Jesus is human. But we are not, in fact, the person of God himself who never originated, who never had a beginning, who was never ultimately born. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary as a human being. But the person of Jesus, the eternal Word of God, is God eternal, who never had a beginning. He is from above, and therefore he is above all. This is the testimony of John. He makes it incredibly clear. And so with this in mind, we can say, since Jesus came from above, that is in contrast to every other human, he has to be one of two kinds of beings. He either must be an angel or the only other kind of being higher than an angel. He must be deity. He must be God. Does the Bible answer that question? In fact, it does. And in pursuit of that, I want us to look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. Let's notice there verses 5 through 14. Page 1062, if you'd like to follow along in your pew Bibles. Hebrews 1, 5 through 14, listen to the word of God. For to which of the angels did God ever say? Are you listening? To which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when again he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, to the Son, are you listening? To the Son, God says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above all, more than all your companions. And you, Lord, this is what God the Father says about Jesus the Son. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. And they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same. And your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? In other words, there's a strong contrast that is made here in the book of Hebrews chapter 1. And this rhetorical question that the writer keeps presenting to the readers, to which of the angels did he ever say what he has said to Jesus? And the answer to those rhetorical questions is none. Jesus never said that. God the Father never said that to the angels, but he said it to Jesus. And a contrast is made between the servanthood of the angels, their ministering spirits sent out to serve. Jesus is the one whom the angels worship. He is the one who made the, the world, the one who made the angels themselves. Colossians 1 tells us that everything that was created was created by him and for him. Ephesians 1 affirms this. The angels were created by Jesus for Jesus. The testimony of Scripture is absolutely clear. I spoke about our friends, the so-called Jehovah's Witnesses, last week very briefly because when we're we're talking about the deity of Christ, I need to to warn you that those guys that come to your door, as well-meaning and as well-intentioned as they are, and I don't doubt either one of those things, 
But, but those folks have been misled by generations of false prophets who have given to them the New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures. That's what they call their Bible, which is a perverted and false translation of the Word of God. And if you want to study that further, I got a copy of it in my study marked up with the mistranslations of the Greek in order to support their contention that Jesus is in fact not deity of deity, God of God, but in fact they believe that he was the archangel Michael, just an angel. Now again, I'm not insulting an archangel. An archangel is far greater than you or me, but an archangel is not God. And to say that Jesus was merely an angel who became a human being, that is absolutely a heretical and unbiblical claim. And it falls under the category of what the Bible calls anti-Christian teaching. And so the so-called Jehovah's Witnesses are not Christians. And they are not our brothers in the faith. And they need desperately to be corrected, converted, and saved. If you can do that when they come to your door, please invite them in and study. Uh, we can talk more about that at another time. But I just want to make it clear. We see from these passages what the Bible says about Jesus in no uncertain terms. He is not an angel. He's not merely a man. He is God being a man. Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Godhead. Second of the proofs that we're looking at is Jesus' own words. Because, well, I mean, if we're saying things that Jesus wouldn't have said about himself, then we need to stop saying what he wouldn't say. Let's see what Jesus said about himself. Uh, John chapter 10, beginning in verse 24. So the Jews gathered around Jesus and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. I love, I love the way Jesus responds to these kinds of questions in the Gospels. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. Many he told him multiple times and in multiple ways, but none of his answers were satisfying to them because they did not want to believe. And I can't make you believe something. No matter how much evidence that you give to a person, if they are of a bent of a frame of mind that they will not believe, what are you going to do? You, you just communicate, you testify, you give evidence, you make good arguments, you do it in love, you do it in peace, you do it with a clean conscience, and at the end of the day, it's a wrestling match between the Holy Spirit of God and our broken and fallen hearts. That, that's everything that's going on in this world, and so we do what we can, all right? Uh, and so Jesus had told them in many ways, and they didn't believe, the works that I do. He's saying, look at what I'm doing. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me, Jesus says. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. I and the Father are one. Do you see that statement from Jesus' own mouth? I and the Father are one. Jesus, in no uncertain terms, communicated who he is and what he is. In John 14, 6 through 11, we have this passage. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you'd known me, you'd have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. <laughs> well, he was asking, boy, he was as a big old ask, okay? Show us the unfiltered presence of God. Let us see with our mortal eyes what would disintegrate us. 
Jesus doesn't bother to argue with that. He just says, he just says, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? I love that. I mean, you can hear. There's a little bit of disappointment in that. But it's love. It's love. He says, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Let me ask you a question, guys. Just in your own fallen human mind, which of course is going to be imperfect. But I just challenge you to do this. Think of every quality of personality or personhood that you would expect. The God of all goodness and all truth and perfect love and righteousness and justice. Anything that that means. I want you to think about what that looks like. And I want you to give time to study Jesus and see if he doesn't fit every one of those expectations. I challenge you to do it. This is the communication that he was even making to his apostles. Haven't you been watching me? Can't you, can't you think about the way that I talk, the way that I live, the things that I've done? Don't you see the hand of God in that? That's what Jesus was saying to Philip and to the rest of them. And he says, uh, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. That's the testimony of Jesus, and it leads us to number three. Power. Power. What is the proof that Jesus is deity? God become a man. God with us. Emmanuel. It is the divine power that was and is evident around every aspect of Jesus' nature, of his life, his ministry, his death, burial, resurrection, his present reign as king over the kingdom of God. Romans 1, 1 through 6 one of the four passages that are central to this series. I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul says in the first six verses of this wonderful book. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his holy prophets and the holy scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the flesh, of, or the seed of David according to the flesh. And notice the outline that Paul is following. How does Paul know Jesus who he is? The testimony of prophecy, number one. The testimony of prophecy, number one. Continuing then. And declared, verse 4, and declared to be the Son of God with power. With power. According to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience of the faith among all nations for his name. Among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. And so we've looked at the testimony of prophecy briefly. We, we have, of course, gone right to the source and listened to what Jesus said himself. And then the next concern is power. Paul says the power of God has demonstrated in an infallible way the proof that Jesus is his son, his one-of-a-kind son, his divine son. So let's think about that power together. John 10, 17 and 18. Jesus says, for this reason the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Notice this. No one takes it from me. How can you take Jesus' life from him? How can you take God's life from God? Even if God has become a man in the person of Jesus, if he's taken on mortal frame and thus is subject to the laws of mortality of this universe, how can you take the life of God from him? 
Jesus said, that's not possible. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Listen to the authority that the Father has given the Son here. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. I'm going to ask you a question. Has any other human being ever lived that could say those words and they'd be true? I, I don't have the authority to even lay my life down. I can't decide when I die and be right with God. I'm subject to his will, his providence in that. Someone very easily could take my life. It's not hard to do. That's one of the <laughs> harsh realities that we have to come to terms with in this world. Is it's real easy to kill one of us. I mean, like that. Done. Done deal. That's, that's the, the fragility of the mortal frame. We live in recognition of that truth at all times. Jesus is mortal as a man. But he's been given the authority of God to decide when and how he dies. And oh, being God, he cannot remain mortal. He's got the authority to decide to get up from the grave again. Jesus alone is the person who has that authority. Only him. Only he has the power over life and death. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 27, we read this statement. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. That's Jesus' feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. There's an important point I'm going to make with this. I want you to listen very carefully. Very carefully. There are three persons of the deity, of the Godhead, the Godhood, however you want to talk about the Trinity. Three persons. First person, the Godhead, God the Father. Overall, source of all, ruler of all, ultimate authority in every way, shape, form, or fashion. Second person of the Godhead, the eternal Word of God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God eternally proceeding from the nation or the nature of the Father as the radiance of his glory, Hebrews 1, the exact imprint or stamp of his nature, Hebrews 1. The third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, sent out into the world to exercise God's will, to influence the world to hear the gospel, to fill up the church, to fill up ourselves with his indwelling to seal us Ephesians 1 for the day of redemption so that all of the invisible forces that we are not able to see but that are around us every day they see the stamp of the Holy Spirit on our spirits and so the spirit world recognizes clearly the difference between God's people and those who are not of God the Holy Spirit now we read in this passage that God the Father again the highest of all above all, even above Jesus, even above the Holy Spirit, that God the Father gives Jesus all authority. The only thing that is accepted is God the Father himself. Only God the Father is in a position superior to Jesus. Only him, not the Holy Spirit. Only God the Father is in a position superior to Jesus. Do you see that? All right. With that in mind, I want us to consider Jesus' words in John 16, beginning in verse 12. He says this to his apostles. This is in between the Last Supper and his betrayal, right? He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Now notice what Jesus says. For he will not speak on his own authority, 
For whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Notice Jesus' words. He, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Of course, the beginning of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You know, it would be really easy for God to exalt a man, whatever his origin was, put him over the whole earth, put him over the whole universe, over all the works of his hands. It, it would be nothing for God to choose his heir, someone that he will call his son, and, and even exalt him above all of the angelic beings because God made them all. They, they weren't eternal in the past tense. They were creations of God, made by God. I could see God exalting a man above all of the material creation, every human being, all the animals, all the plants, all the trees, all the stars, over light itself, and even over the angels. But I'll tell you one thing God is not going to do. He never has, he will not, and he never will. He never will blaspheme himself by exalting the created over the creator. Are you hearing me? That God the Father has given Jesus Christ, his son, authority over the third person of the Godhead, authority over even the Holy Spirit is final an infallible proof that Jesus Christ is deity, the eternal Word of God, who was never created, who by the Father's will was and is the creator of everything, you and me. One day on Resurrection Day, and it could be today, I don't know when that day is going to be, but one day, my friends, each one of us will stand before a man we will see a human being, Jesus Christ, on the throne. And we will be looking into the face of a man, our big brother, our Lord and Savior and King. And simultaneously, we will be looking into the face of Almighty God. That's our Lord Jesus. And to say that somehow he's just a religious leader and founder on par with all of these mortal men who have started their false religions is blasphemy of blasphemies. He is more than that. He is my Lord and my God. Those were Thomas's words when he came to know the truth. I can tell you this morning that there are many more proofs. And I wish I had much more time. But just like Paul said, the proof is in the pudding. At the end of the story, the proof is in the power. The tomb is empty. And that says everything that needs to be said. That statement is true about no one else because there is no one else like Jesus. And in that that tomb is empty, my friends, you have the proof that everything he said, that everything the Bible says about him is fact. It's solid. It's true. You can know who you are 
and you can know where you're going. My friends, we know that our faith is founded, that our hope is real, and that his way alone is right. Oh, how wonderful it is to know. To know that you know that you know. To know that your feet are on rock-solid truth, a foundation that cannot be shaken. I just want to challenge you to open your mind and realize that to know is Jesus. He himself is the truth, John 14, 6. He is the prerequisite to their being, truth. He himself is the truth. That's the Son of God. Do you believe in him today? If you've never made the confession, the good confession, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you need to do that. It is absolutely essential if you will be saved. You must confess, I believe, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You must make the decision to obey him. Paul, in Romans 1, which we read, in which he's talking about Jesus being proven to be who he is by power, says that the purpose of that is to preach and to require the obedience of faith in all the nations. And that means everyone is being called to believe that Jesus is who he is, the Son of God, his Savior and Lord. And if we believe that, then we must act on that. We must make the decision to repent of sin, quit living in selfish, rebellious ways, and to give our hearts to him, and to begin living in the way that he's laid out for us, that is explained to us on the pages of this holy book. The first step in that process, if you've decided to turn your life over to Jesus, is to obey his commandment to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. The water is ready, and if you need to respond today, the front pews are open. If you need the prayers of this church, come. As together we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.